Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 102 for Friday, April 8th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney and Captain Savriel Maston. Are you ready? As ever. Nice. We are back in the <laughs> saddle and ready for a road trip. Back in the saddle again. Um, yeah, uh, as ever. <laughs> so that is, of course, a reference to Star Trek Picard season three. We're only halfway through season two and they've already shown us a trailer for season three. Teaser, I would say more like, just like, here's our cast with six tenths of a second of a scene. <laughs> this is fair. This is accurate. I often conflate the words teaser and trailer, but you are correct. This was a teaser. And what the news was is that they are bringing back almost the entirety of the cast of TNG for season three. And it sounds like it's not just a cameo. They said they're joining the cast. Yeah, almost everyone, because we don't have Diane Mulder, of course. Or Denise Crosby. And the person that we're missing the most is Will Wheaton, which breaks my heart and broke his heart. Did you see his reaction? I saw him say that he was as disappointed as all his Twitter followers, but he was looking forward to seeing his family reunited and chatting with them on the ready room. He even wrote fan fiction, like how he can picture it play out. It's a very short story. Oh. In his sad, in his, I mean, it was him venting, or not venting so much as releasing the sadness. And he wrote a little scene of him as the traveler appearing, or or with the traveler. Uh, my, my mistake, but, but uh, yeah, traveler board. Well, it wouldn't be the first time somebody doesn't spoil something by lying about whether or not they're in it. Yeah, and and this could be that they're like, oh crap, this is an oversight on our part. Will we would love to have you on. And also, remember our theory in season one. I think this was Susan's theory that Seven of Nine was not supposed to come back, but she was so popular that they yeah. rewrote it so that she did. Uh, yeah. So. so even though they're done filming season three, we don't know when it's going to air. I doubt it's going to be this calendar year. That gives oh, yeah, them so they, much time for reshoots. Are they done done? I just don't remember. I saw a tweet that said that uh, they were done. I think Patrick Stewart tweeted it. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah. But anyway, it is exciting that we're getting almost everybody back. So I am cautiously optimistic because all good things, series finale for TNG, utterly perfect, loved it. But how many final tributes has TNG had since then? Nemesis, not great. <laughs> the Enterprise finale, not great. Like every time they try to put a bow on this cast, just makes it worse. So third time's the charm. Enterprise is a stretch, and it would have been great as an episode on its own, and not as a finale. <laughs> and um, they tried to make it a, a love letter to TNG fans. Yeah. I think is the language they used when it yeah. aired back in 05, but it just didn't work. Like everyone regrets it now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I had some trouble. But hey, you know what? I don't think I don't think um, all good things holds up as well. As people in their head, I'll, I take it for what it is. I don't think it holds up as well as we thought it did in 1994. 
you know, if you have a different opinion from me, then that's fine because we're all allowed our unique mm-hmm. opinions and neither of us is wrong. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember the last time I saw it still thinking it was great. <laughs> what, what is it that you feel doesn't hold up? Uh, I felt the pacing was a little off and it just felt a little weird. Like, thinking it as a viewer in 20, I think it was 2020 when I watched it last, um, I was like, mm, I still enjoy this and I like what they're going for this, but it just doesn't hold up to tv anymore like it did back then so i was still found it enjoyable but it wasn't as great and perfect as i remembered hmm. maybe i won't go back and rewatch i would have just you know what go for it but i also say you know if you're ever gonna do hold on to those memories just like well i'm hold on to those memories of golden i-64 because going back to it hurts a lot <laughs> yep. yep the wii version was not bad but it's not the it's same not, as going back yeah uh and so today Oh, wait, we have more news. I, well, I still have a little bit to say about Picard Season 3. Yeah, 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 is, hit me. Uh, well, or anyone else listening. I, th- I have two things. One is, I wonder if they knew this is where the series was going when they killed Data at the end of Season 1. Because Brent Spiner is coming back. So I assume he's going to play the latest descendant that we saw last yeah, Joshua Soong. Is that his name? <laughs> no, uh, Franklin soon. Uh, I just heard it like 10 minutes ago and I forgot already. Yeah, it's like Al- Altair. Like Alex soon? Uh, I think it's like the, the Altair 8080 or something. Yeah. I, I forget. But you anyway, know what? It doesn't matter Actually, because it's such a minor part. In- well, there was, a, I thought, a neat Reddit post recently that somebody wrote about members of the Soong dynasty qualitatively rank in descending order of amorality. <laughs> so there are 11 people on this list. And in order from worst to best, if you want to put a judgment on it, I'll quickly rattle this off. Lore, Dr. Adam Soong, who's the person in this season of Picard. Noonien Soong. Uh, the unnamed prototype last seen at Omicron Theta, B4, Eric Sung, who we saw in Enterprise, Soji, Daj, Lal, Alton Inigo Sung, who is it. Yep. And Commander Data is the <laughs> most moral of them all. So that means the second most moral person is the person from season one of Picard. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, this is kind of reminding me of The Flash, where they have an actor who plays a different character every season. Yeah. That's kind it's of just, neat. except now it's Brent Spiner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my second wonder about the next season is, will the TNG cast be replacing the La Serena cast? Or will they be joining them? That'd be like one episode and they're all sitting at DS9 drinking beers and playing poker with the Voyager and DS9 cast, Enterprise holograms, uh, T'Pol will be there. Awesome. And Q will say, this is all a good thing. <laughs> and that's the end of all Star Trek. Uh-huh. Right there. Q flash. But like, are, are we going to see the TNG crew going around on a mission with Seven of Nine? And... I, I, I that that fascinates me. I would love to see that. Well, we're going to get Crystal Ball on his own show with the Stargazer. Is that happening? I don't know, but it would be cool because okay. I just love seeing. <laughs> I think else. he's staying in the 21st century, especially after watching this week's episode. Uh, I don't um, know. But but it's, it could potentially be a very crowded cast next season. So we I'm just see how it plays out. We shall. We shall. And I can wait. There could uh, be. They just stare. <laughs> and we have some other Star Trek news. Yeah, uh, 
it was revealed today that Strange New Worlds, with the trailer came out last week, which was pretty cool, got me excited. I loved all the vignettes, but um, I love the sword fighting, swash, swash, buckle, buckle. Um, um, but we got find out we're going to get first names for Dr. Mbenga and Spock. Spock. He, I forgot that he said he had a first name in the original series, but it was unpronounceable to you. I totally forgot about that. So is Spock a surname? Uh, it's just his last name, yeah. So apparently, so yeah, who's his dad then? His dad, so, like, but it, is Sarek oh, maybe, a last oh, name maybe, or a first maybe name? Vulcan names don't work the same as ours. Maybe it's like Bajoran, where the first name comes last. Uh, well, we can see Lieutenant Commander's chin to gain Spock. I can't. Uh, chin to gain. There's there's a lot of apostrophes in here. Where are you getting that from? Um, that's on. I'll give you the link, but it's on Trek Core, but it's a poster from a Star Trek Chicago thing. But we don't actually already know his first name, do we? That's yes, we be... do. Oh, I thought that was going to be on the show, Strange oh, New Worlds. Oh, it's, it's, okay. Uh, yes, it's going to be on there, but it, it, in a poster. Okay. Oh, so we don't have to wait for Strange New Worlds to find out. Correct. Well, that's boring. Uh, and it's from, but it's I Love It Again, just like Navarre was from uh, fanfic. This name is from uh, a Star Trek novel from 1985, Ishmael, by Barbara Hambly. Huh. I hope she gets credit or uh, royalties. Yeah, right? <laughs> wow. I like it when they make beta canon into canon. Yeah. Enterprise did that really well. I, I concur. Um the Strange New Worlds trailer, it doesn't excite me because, as I've mentioned before, I don't need to be sold on it. And I also don't feel like they're giving us a lot of plot. We don't know what the season or show is really about. But I do like what I've seen, like the individual character trailers that uh-huh. you and I were talking about off the air, oh, especially we're... Nurse Chapel. Yeah, oh, she, her attitude. I love her. I love that we're going to explore Pike knowing about his end or possible end. And even uh, and he knows about his end. Yeah, yeah, that's why he's exploring. Like, how does one react to knowing your fate, and your fate is unchangeable? Well, uh, kind of. I love that scene in Discovery season two where he says, "Let me be the one to blow up this bomb because I know my fate is that I don't die here." Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do when you know you're invincible <laughs> up until a certain point? Uh, so yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for Strange New Worlds. I'm, I, after watching that, I rewatched the one on Una number one. Um, Una, come number one. Um, I watched, uh, her on Short Trek with, um, Spock called Q&A. I was like, God, I just love this. I can't wait to see more of her. I love number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is going to be a fascinating character. There is lots of, uh, fan fiction and beta novels where, it's determined that she isn't human, and also she is the mother of somebody from TNG, I think. Mother of a modern major general. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she sings out there, if you've forgotten. I, I think she is Ensign Leffler's mother? Am uh-huh. I making that up? I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. So that means we have a lot of Star Trek to look forward to. We have Picard Season 3, we have Strange New Worlds, and... Was there something else? Uh, I brought up apparently in Star Trek Online. Their next next stick, their next thing is going to have Captain Janeway versus Captain Killy. <laughs> oh gosh, that's going to be a trip. 
Yeah, I don't. Uh, no, I don't think he's been any part of this. <laughs> but I'm, but I, I don't know. I, I just heard that. I just saw that trailer. Well, oh, not even a trailer of that. It just trailer of Kate Mulgrew talking. But there's no scenes of Captain Killy in the trailer. But they announced the next expansion, not expansion story, whatever it is. I was like, mm. that just tickled me seeing Janeway versus Killy. <laughs> and that's Star Trek Online, not Star Trek Timeline, correct? Right. I have not looked into timelines at all. Yeah, the only time I was sort of aware of Star Trek Timeline was when I interviewed for a job at the company that makes it. That's right. Uh, they narrowed it down to two different people, and I did not get that gig, which was fine because they wanted somebody to start like that week because it was the week of PAX East and they needed somebody That's to help right. on the booth. <laughs> and I'm like, I had a full-time job. I needed to give a two-week notice. And I thought the fact that they had that expectation was a little unprofessional. Uh, that was very tight turnaround. <laughs> yeah, it's not what I was... It's not the kind of environment I was looking for. So I was fine with their decision. And I got to... It was. I apologize if I've told this anecdote on the episode before on this podcast, but... I went to PAX East and I knew a lot of people who worked at the company even before I interviewed there because it's a small industry, the Boston video game environment. And so I went to the booth and there was somebody there I didn't recognize. And he said, hey, you want to try your new game? And I was like, sure. And we started chatting about it. I was like, so you're new here? I said to him and he's like, yeah, I just started this week. And I was like, aha, congratulations. I knew that. I mean, I've known you, but I knew that. (laughs) So you're the sucker they got. And unfortunately, they did have some significant layoffs just a few years later, uh, including of some of the friends that I referenced. So who knows? Even if I had gotten that job, I wouldn't have been there anymore. So yeah, there have been two times I have interviewed in the video game industry. Uh, That was the time that I was not devastated by the result. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Should we talk about today? We should talk about yeah, today. Today, we are here to talk about a very short episode. Uh, two of one, two hearts that beat as one. <laughs> the shortest episode of this season. I need you, I need you, I two. Oh, sorry. Um, two of one, directed by Jonathan Frakes. Super short Again. episode, but man, we'll see if we can't stretch this to not talk over an hour or an episode that's 37 minutes long or whatever it was. <laughs> We're already 14 minutes in. I didn't even look at the time for this episode. How was it 37 minutes? Uh, I think with credits and the intro, it was like 37, 38 minutes. That's not counting just episode. I didn't realize. I knew it was short. I didn't realize it was that short. Most now, episodes are like an hour. At least Discovery well, was an hour each. Last few weeks, they're like 45 minutes. But the first like episode or two, like an hour. So. And I have the version of Paramount Plus that has no commercial. So yeah, it's- same really felt when it's short they can't pat it out yeah but a oh man i was gonna say it right off the bat i thought agnes slash board queen stole the show this week i think that I, was as intended <laughs> oh my god i love them i love this i mean it was they are it's their name is in the title two of one but oh my god agnes singing we got pat benatar we got the mirror thing of being inside we got board queen taking over oh my god and that whole that whole dichotomy of like yeah you're in charge just totally like oh my god but she wasn't (laughs) like she was but she wasn't oh my god it was so good so if you don't want to get assimilated all you have to do is be really stressed out which if i'm about to be assimilated i probably am (laughs) they have ways of making you sing Uh, apparently (laughs) so that was in fact the actor singing uh, Allison Pill, yeah, right? Yeah, Allison That's her name. Pill. God, she's an amazing actress. When the so we're jumping right into the middle of the episode, which is fine because if you're listening to Transporter Lock, you've seen the episode. 
But when the lights go down, first, I thought it funny that Picard could escape when the lights were out because like all of a sudden nobody can see when we could see just fine. And it's not like the guards left their post. They're still blocking the doors. But anyway, then the music started and there have been times in this season, like when the board queen and Agnes were chatting in an earlier episode and everybody was beaming into Los Angeles when there's music playing. Uh-huh. And I just thought this was one of those moments. Music is playing. And then Allison walks out and it's actually in scene like people can hear the music and i had to rewind and be like wait what's happening and rather than say oh we we have a party crasher (laughs) go arrest her the band just starts playing because they know that song in that key they they know that song they're like wow we are in a tv show we were made for this moment i tweeted out it's like i know i try not to say anything specific so i tweeted out like while watching this, I laughed as Allison Pill is walking down the stairs and like, oh my god, they're doing this, aren't they? This is absolutely absurd, and I'm in. <laughs> yeah, it was wonder. I thought it was a wonderful moment, and I would have just had the same rush of endorphins that she had had I been able to do that because I used to do musical theater. I love singing in front of an audience. I'm not great at it, but if I had gotten the sort of ovation that she did, yeah. <laughs> And it was all part of her plan. She has a plan. Dun, dun. My favorite shot in the entire episode. Probably won't surprise you, Sabriel. When Gerardi takes a bow and she comes up with the queen. The queen right there. <laughs> I loved it. That was a great so shot. So good. Uh, Alison Pill talking to herself. You can see sometimes a background actor looks at her like, the heck? Uh, <laughs> um. Because she's talking to the board queen, but no one else can see her. And then the reflection thing I mentioned, the holding her hand, um, or even a board queen putting her hand out for Allison Pill or Agnes to take. Um, oh my God, those two are so good together. They bounce off each other. And then the scene at the end with board queen as Agnes walking away into this night of LA. What are you up to? <laughs> I'm going to be very disappointed if the next episode is not the two of them hopping from karaoke bar to karaoke bar. Ah, uh, see, I just uh, see they did the singing thing, so I think they're just going to get like a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> I know a great place uh, to recommend. <laughs> it's true. Maybe now that she's actually in a human body, she might be able to enjoy things that she couldn't as a board queen. She's like, oh, this is what it feels like, kind of like Data used to, you know? Yeah. So, so like the whole plan was just. To go back to 2024 because she heard this great burrito place. <laughs> I mean, good food is worth traveling for. That's right. That's right. And Rios, Rios was having fun this episode, going living in 2024. I mean, he saw this pretty little uh, uh, doctor as well. And he was enjoying the food. The actual real cigar matches. <laughs> I, I mean, he mentioned the noisy cars and everybody honking at each other, but it was it's his so reaction intense. to the matches that amuse me the most because (laughs) and this is not technology that's been lost it's not like there's been an apocalypse and future humans don't remember how to make fire it's just a little box of matches they come in what do you call it a little cabinet or something yeah i don't know the exact word all the wording but yeah uh you just probably don't keep matches around normally (laughs) on starships and i often don't see matches nowadays anyway like usually it's a lighter a big lighter yeah, I used to go like every bar had their own like matchbox or ma- uh, you can get your little thing and yeah, get matches. I, as we record this, I'm across the street from a hotel that my family and I used to stay at for summer vacation like 35 years ago. 
and I still have a book of matches from that <laughs> hotel. And if I walked in there and said, when's the last time you made these? They'd probably be like, holy crap, 35 years ago, back yes, when cars like, had ashtrays. That or even just, I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm 15, sir. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the matches are older than the employees now. Gosh. Um. Yeah, Rio's had a very small part here, but I just got a kick out of him being just living in the moment. Um, Seven as well. She had a very small part here in this episode as well, but uh, she was living in the moment, enjoying people not obsessing over her Borg implants. Yeah, she had a smaller part than even Rio's. I think her only lines were when she was finally at the hospital. Yeah. But you got to see her being social, and I can't help but think how proud voyager's doctor would be of her right now <laughs> and then he'd be looked longingly from a distance from the bar oh of course he was there yep. <laughs> always unless he was somehow in her board game plans which she doesn't have in this episode so it all works out um i kind of jumped ahead but is there anything you want to mention more about agnes and the board queen i don't think so i am still curious as to a theory that we've raised on previous episodes of how much of this was anticipated by Gerardi. It does seem like she's not entirely surprised that the queen is in her, and she knowingly lied to her teammates about this, which I found very not like her. I thought she was a more honest individual than that. And I liked the scene she had with Chris up until she kissed him. And I know that wasn't her choice. But he was trying to say, I care about you as a friend. And that is something that I think she may have needed to hear because she's always being told by the Borg Queen, you're always alone. She and here's did somebody. Need to hear that. Yeah, I agree. But uh, yeah, like you said, it wasn't her. Yeah. And then the Borg Queen ruined the moment because she was trying to get Agnes to experience endorphins so that she could be more fully assimilated. <laughs> so we'll see where this goes in the future. But with every episode, I'm growing more confident that Agnes is the Borg queen from the first that, episode. That clockwork queen. Yes. Um, that's always been my terminating terminology. No one else, but it, all the gears, I think it fits. Works for me. Um, yeah. Oh, that whole mind control thing. Uh, like, like that is totally playing on the aggressor. It's like, yeah, you're in control. Totally. Like, like this is a Borg queen is, um, we've always known she's not a good person. That's not what I'm trying to say, but just like that whole, that whole uh, relationship of gaslighting people. Um, and I would say like they, they've really made the Borg Queen evil again. Scary. Voyager gets, you know, kind of dunked on for making her a weaker character overall, especially the Borg period. And they're making them scary again here to me. I'm not... I think she is scary, but not in the way that the Borg are. Not the same way. Uh Yeah. It's the lack of personality and the relentlessness of the Borg that is also what made the original Terminator so scary. One of my favorite movies, or one of my, well, it is one of my favorite movies, Terminator 2, but one of my favorite scenes is when Sarah is running down the corridor in the psychiatric ward and the elevator opens and it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And up until that moment in that movie, she had been a very confident and angry and motivated person. And then she sees Arnold Schwarzenegger step out of the elevator and she is terrified. And she 
is running away as fast as she can because she knows this thing cannot be stopped. And that's the fear that I got from the Borg on TNG. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You might be able to slow them down, but you can't stop them. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, that is it encapsulated. That is perfectly it. And so this Borg queen, you can, in a way, reason with her, negotiate with her, have a conversation with her. It's not the same kind of relentlessness. And that's something they pulled from Voyager, too. Like, we don't know what the Borg Queen wants exactly with Agnes. There's the ability to deceive. She has that. And the original Borg, you always knew exactly what the Borg wanted. Yeah. So I went from laughing in this episode uh, and the pure joy of Agnes singing to being teary-eyed in the next scene where we had John Luke being a fatherly grandfather to Renee. And it was just so tender and so sweet. I loved yeah. it. I just loved it. Tell me more about that. What what did you like? Well, I just thought the interactions okay. were playing off of each other. <laughs> uh, his advice. He was so much the, the uh, you know, like I said, fatherly or grandfatherly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just, I thought it was beautiful between them. You know, I really liked it the first time I watched it too. And then I read some reviews online and one review pointed out that in, in this reviewer's opinion, Picard doesn't really care about Renee as a person and the struggles she's going through. His goal is to make sure she gets into quarantine so that he gets his timeline. Mm-hmm. And then when viewed in that light, this reviewer found the scene between the two of them. His words were tone deaf and manipulative. I suppose I can see that if that's the point of view, but that doesn't feel very Picard either. That doesn't feel very Jean Luc to be more accurate. I can see him maybe going into it thinking that, and then in the moment, he turns into Jean Luc. Well, I think also this reviewer is taking it out of context a little bit because. He had just had that discussion, Picard, with Talon about how it's it's time to get involved. It's time to let go. Both of those things are simultaneously true somehow. And that Renee needs somebody. She can't just do things on her own. Which also makes me wonder, I don't know if this is a tangent, what exactly has Talon been doing for the last 30-so years? Like, She's been watching, which is why she's called a watcher. Has she actually ensured or changed anything? Uh, yeah, we we literally don't know the specifics other than she's been nearby. Maybe she's kept Renee alive, made sure. But yeah, we just don't know. Uh, it hasn't been said. It hasn't yeah. been said. And there was another Reddit thread where somebody asked, how come... Renee gets a watcher in the year 2024, but Gabriel Bell doesn't. We don't know that he didn't. It's true. It's true. And this same person said, well, maybe the prophets knew that it was a closed time loop with Benjamin Sisko, so he didn't need a watcher because Ben Sisko was there. Uh But we have to wonder, I mean, we know that without Gabriel Bell, that future of the Federation also doesn't happen. Yeah. So how many, I mean, if Gabriel Bell had a watcher, then Gabriel Bell shouldn't have died. And he did. Uh, But we don't know. Maybe the Watcher is just meant to ensure the timeline happens. Not that Gabriel Bell lives. Hmm. And so there's Benjamin Sisko did it. Okay, my job here is done. Time to report home to the big talking giant head. Well, 
you bring up a good point, which is exactly where that same Reddit thread went, which is that maybe the prophets are the supervisors that the watchers <laughs> respond to. Or maybe they have multiples. Like this is just like this is the Earth sector and the prophets watch over Earth. No, um kind of like the Green Lanterns. Yeah, exactly. Um exactly. but but um so like apparently these supervisors don't know the future. They're just told to do something and watch. So she didn't know Renee's destiny. Mm-hmm. She was just told to watch her. She did for all we know, they didn't say what to watch for. Because she was acting very motherly here in this episode too, all of a sudden. Like, how do I know she's ready? She was like, I don't know, that might be a hint of what Picard why this whole reality exists between him and Laris and him had not let, letting something happen. Um, but in, in some way, like it, it has to be related somehow. But mm. um, I just don't know how. But yeah, she was acting very motherly and she wasn't sure if it was okay to let go. Yeah, it's you bring up a good point that Talon didn't know that Renee had to get into quarantine. Mm-hmm. And so if she was just watching, then she would have made, she would not have countered Q's machinations and thus the timeline would not have been ensured. So the mere act of watching in this case would not have accomplished her larger goal of ensuring the timeline proceeded. And if that was even what she's been sent here to do. Right. All we know like, is watch, watch her. Right. So what? We don't know. <laughs> you know, just creep in on her therapy appointments, read her text messages, uh-huh. n- give give this young woman no privacy, mm-hmm. and that's how you accomplish your mission. Yeah. Um. So, like, there's still some mystery with those people, and I think we're gonna find out more as time goes on. And the connection to Laris. Yes. Uh, she's speaking Romulan here in this episode. Last episode, her pad thing had um Romulan lettering. When did she speak Romulan? I don't. Uh, what was the scene? Um, they are at the, they are at the gala. He's talking to just JL, and she said something, and she said something in another language, and the subtitles say Romulan or speaks Romulan. I so don't like, remember that's that. That's two episodes of a row where something Romulan has appeared. So I didn't have subtitles on for that scene. Ah. I don't remember her saying something I didn't catch. Interesting. Yeah. And, um, man, so, so like, there's also a scene where JL asks her who watches the watchers. And, and she I was looked like, very moved by that. She is totally a double, that's a total double speak line because, uh, it's obviously like who is watching her, who are these supervisors, but also she had mentioned just a little bit before that you just called me Laris again. And he's clearly thinking about Laris when he sees her, like there's some kind of like, uh, He's thinking about Laris, like, and watching over her and being with her and missing her. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that's a, that was a double speak line. And she gets very emotional, like, like, like she's not worried that he's asking the wrong questions, but asks, like, oh, what does that mean for me? Yeah. It's like she has a vulnerability that she doesn't show the world, and yet Picard sees it anyway. Mm-hmm. It is kind of weird, though, that he might have this connection with her. I'm thinking of the John Scalzi novel, The Ghost Brigade, where the main character, his wife has passed away from old age. And in that book, he apparently meets a clone of her. And this clone has none of the memories because that's not how cloning works. Uh-huh. And yet they fall in love and get married. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, mm, that's kind of weird, actually. Mm-hmm. And if this person is not Laris, well, we don't know if she is or is not. She might be 
Valeris of 400 years ago. And I am looking forward to figuring out how that gets resolved. Or like, this is how they meet. (laughs) But also think about, I'm just now realizing how many actors in Picard have already played multiple characters. Because we had uh, Soji and Dodge. We have Data and two different Soongs. And we have now Laris and Talon. And so (laughs) I think they're saving a lot of money on casting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's a great idea. We're going to play six characters. All right, JL. (laughs) (laughs) I was once in a stage production where I played six different characters. Not at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, But fortunately, all six of them had a beard, which before (laughs) that show, I did not. So I grew the beard. And at the last night of the production, after everybody took their bows, like, Every other male cast member ran the back room and shaved their beards. They couldn't wait to get rid of it. Uh-huh. I was like, no, actually, I think I'm going to keep it. <laughs> but I'm very glad I didn't have to like shave my beard and regrow it between scenes for different characters. Uh-huh. That would have been challenging. <laughs> yeah, so Talon, it's a mystery there. It gets curiouser and curiouser. Um, I mean, later on, she has the same little device that Gary Seven did, the little sort of device as he's, she's looking into John Luke's brain with John Luke. He keeps having this whole season. He's had flashbacks to his mother and we've been part of that because we're the viewer, but apparently they are getting very intense. And this episode, I kept pausing and pausing and pausing in that flashback as he's laying on the bed there because I'm like, what did I just see? There is some guy who looks like he's very severely burned um, with black lips, bald, um, looking intentionally, looking very menacingly at uh, someone off camera. In a, some kind of cellar or dungeon. And we, we even see JL and uh, young Jean Luc and his mother running around in a cellar. Well, you know who that guy was. It was Nosferatu. Oh, that makes a lot of no sense. <laughs> as much as anything else this season. <laughs> he reminded me a lot of the um oh the prophet or what are they called in Vikings? The show Vikings, the first the first series. Oh, not the Lost Vikings. Um nope, as the TV show. <laughs> uh, not the wizard game. Um, uh, the seer. That's what they called him. The seer. He had black mm. lips and except that guy had no eyes too. But um, interesting. This Weird. one did. Um, yeah, it's like what in the world is this? Is it just some inner demon, or is it a flashback to something real? It could be that Picard's life has intersected with aliens since he was a child. Yeah, and the person in the the shot was a little off angle, where he might have had pointy ears, might not have. Could he be a Reman? Uh. Possibly, I felt like a stretch. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, the Remans raised Picard's clone. Mm-hmm. So it's not the first time his life has intersected with them from an early age. Right, but clone this clone part does not share those memories. It's true. What if the Picard that we've been watching all along is the clone? What if there was a switcheroo in Nemesis and we didn't realize it? I mean, they did it in Days of Our Lives. <laughs> the day with uh, Marina or something like that? No, we thought that Andre died in the quicksand, but it was actually his twin brother, Tony, who oh. died. And then they retconned it, and it actually was the other way around. But And either way, Theo Flanglis, as the actor, is getting double paychecks, so it's pretty convenient <laughs> for him. Well, Tom Hardy shows up again uh, as John Luke. Uh, I look forward to it. Fantastic. <laughs> Not to confuse with for some, Eric Bana, so I don't know why I'm thinking this because Tom Hardy, he played in the Venom movie, right? That's that's the same actor, right? Uh, yes. And Eric Bana played the Incredible Hulk. Yes. 
but he was also the bad guy in the 2009 Star Trek reboot movie. Yes. Okay, so I'm not to confuse Venom with the Incredible Hulk, even though they're both Marvel. Right, and you or I are not to go with him or anyone else until you and I are coming to go. Um, yeah. Uh, Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, but speaking of Picard's memories, it's weird to me a couple of things about this whole hit and run accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I know that his golem body is designed to be as human as possible, mm-hmm. but it's I feel like it's acting a little too human. Like, he's bleeding, and the doctor can't tell that he's an android and all this stuff. Like, this like this is a, a, a Julia Soong-level golem. This is really good. And secondly, so he was hit by a car. A Tesla. <laughs> oh, a Tesla. I didn't, nice, yeah. nice detail. I didn't catch that. And the way that they save him is by zapping him with the paddles. Like, uh-huh. th- like th- this is blunt force trauma. Like, he should have broken bones, not just a cardiac issue. And I also find it odd that this is the incident that triggered him really fixating on this memory of his mother. Like, I know he's been thinking about it a lot, but why would a car accident coincide with that? Like, why is he now in a coma? Okay. Did we see him get hit by it, or he dove out of the way, but he crash-landed into the ground? It's I thought he got nebulous. hit. Because he, pu- I, I just can't remember. This is, um, I just even wanted to watch it twice. I know he pushed Renee out of the way completely, but did he actually get hit, hit, or did he fall? I just, this is a question to, um, future me to look up again, um, because that could matter, um, or here it is, his golem body should have resisted a lot of blunt force, um, but see that that's, that's kind of those, those level of like mm, that's not too interesting to me. It's like okay, um, he's a golem. Yeah, he, they, they just need to do that because. Patrick Stewart still alive and we have more story to tell. Um, so, I mean, to me, it's like, okay, sure. Um, but I, I did get a kick out of the whole <laughs> defibrillator and, and, Doc, and Terry says like, uh. <laughs> yeah, it worked. Uh-huh. And I also like the line that he's had some transplants, like all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has, has he had an implant or like a transplant? He's like, or which parts? All of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was amusing. Oh, but that was another Rios boat. The part, though, where, like, Teresa is right. Uh, it's like, he's like, I promise you, we are the good guys. And she's like, good guys, don't say that. <laughs> also, how did they get Picard to the hospital? Yeah, real quick. I mean, L.A. in fantasy land is very small. But none of them own cars. Yep. And nobody is back at the ship to transport them. Uh, and it was a very short timeline because they sure kept mentioning a time clock on us for some reason. Yeah, uh, like he suffered so blunt force trauma. Let's get him to the farthest away hospital. <laughs> apparently that one is just around the corner. Right. no sense logically, but apparently. Um, and none of the bystanders who saw this accident happen, none of them called 911 and had an ambulance okay. come. Okay. We don't know. They might have gone around the corner and beamed there because they needed that. They could have done that. We don't know. And does it ultimately, does that matter for the story? <laughs> no. I don't think so. It doesn't. I mean, um, there was a common joke that Mystery Science Theater would make where, like, somebody would pull up to a house in a, in a car, and the camera would watch them get out of the car, <laughs> shut the door, walk up the steps, and go into the house. And the joke would be, oh, thank God they showed that. Otherwise, we'd wonder how they got into the house. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they're absolutely correct. From a pacing perspective, viewers can make the logical leap, and you don't have to show it. Uh-huh. In this case, there isn't a logical leap. 
Like I, I can understand that. Yes, they got from point A to point B, but since we didn't even see them pull up to the house in a car, the mecha- the method of locomotion is left to the viewer's imagination. Yeah, I mean, Q Flash, um, uh, Benjamin Cisco came and like, hold on, I saw this one in the history book. I gotta get over there. Um, well, you, you know, this is April of 2024. The bell rides aren't until September. And also, Benjamin Sisko comes from a timeline that now no longer exists. So just like Time Zero didn't happen, neither did those episodes of DS9. Yep. <laughs> I was trying to think of that line from Janeway I said a few weeks ago. It's like, the past is the future. The future is the past. It gives me a headache. It's true. It's true. <laughs> um. I mean, yeah, there's a little weird thing when we can answer it, but like, uh, yeah, it did feel a little weird, but mostly felt weird to me because they kept showing that clock. I don't know. What was the decision there? Um, Because the rest of the episode is so good. Like we even see like Rene Picard looking over him, looming over him when he's on the ground and as Rios is yelling, Admiral, Admiral. And then when they're in the hospital, Laris or Seven says something like, we did succeed in getting Rene into quarantine. It's like, there's been some time passage here all of a sudden. Uh, Renee is very drunk off many shots in quarantine now. Yeah, and it, I, they said that quarantine was still 10 hours away. Uh, and so she got drunk. She saw this, the wisest of the security guards get hit by a car. And her response was like, I better get into quarantine. <laughs> I'm not at all concerned that somebody was actually trying to hit me or that this may have been intentional. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah. Um, um, there's some weird stuff there, but it almost felt like they cut out a couple scenes hmm. uh, that maybe ultimately didn't matter. Well, they certainly didn't cut them for running time. I know, right? <laughs> uh, but maybe the pacing was like, they filmed it and like, ah, does this really need matter? We kind of got a pacing thing going on here. We can kind of cut this. Uh, that's a Hollywood thing to do. Uh, Jonathan breaks out. So otherwise, I thought it did a great job. This is like 83rd Star Trek heist thing he's done. Um uh, or this heist movie thing he's done. Um, he, of course, there's jazz music uh, going on uh, in something with Jonathan Brakes. There was, I think, I don't remember if it was an episode of the TV show or if it was one of the three movies, The Librarians, which mm-hmm. Jonathan Frakes directed, where he's in the background playing the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. That would have fit in perfectly on the stage here in this episode. <laughs> Insert himself there. Um, uh, we need to talk about Corey. Yeah, I want to talk about that dad. last because I have a very minor thing to talk about Raffi. Okay. Then, oh, yeah, Raffi. Um, Raffi was here. We saw her struggling with being sober. Um, like she was had a moment where she was feeling better, but then uh, she's left alone to her own devices. She thinks she sees Eleanor again. Uh, and that's where she starts struggling. Um, Char, I bring her up a lot because we talk about Star Trek a lot in text, had this idea. And we can't say one to one. We both rewatch these scenes to make sure. But. Um, so it's possible they're doing the TV thing of Raffi sees Eleanor everywhere she looks. That's how you show that someone is struggling. But also, is it possible if they're not going that route, do Romulans or maybe the Kuat Malat have some kind of thing like the Vulcan Katra? And is Eleanor in Raffi's head and she doesn't know it? Well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And, and we look back, we look back on the bio, but there was no sign of him touching her head. The closest thing is she touches his shoulders and grabs his medallion. But there's no like tender moment of touching. So like it doesn't be like 
this is definitely where they're going. Uh, and evidence doesn't suggest it, but Sean brought it up and I thought it was really interesting. Well, that's one of the things I love about hypothesizing is that you can have all these ideas and they all make sense based on the information you have. And as time progresses, your options narrow until you get either to the one of the options that you had envisioned, or there's more information that presents new options that you hadn't considered. And all of a sudden, you're surprised despite your theories. I really got to keep threatening myself to go back and listen to all the theories I've been throwing out and see if anything stuck. Because I don't remember. I never go back. I don't listen. I don't remember what I said to last episode. So <laughs> Everything you are saying, everything that I'm responding to is already in the past. It has happened before and it'll happen again. I hope It's true. <laughs> we'll just start repeating this episode of Transporter Lock for future episodes and see if anybody notices. There we go. There we go. We'll just keep doing it. Be like Groundhog Day. Good job, guys. You're playing yesterday's tape. <laughs> Adam Soong and Corey. Yeah. So Adam Soong, despite being a mad scientist who has been barred from all these things, his donations are still welcome at the Europa (laughs) mission. Like they don't have any problem associating with this individual and taking his money. Uh And he has enough influence that he can just get Picard ejected. So maybe it's not a public donation yet. Uh, Or maybe he's anonymous, but the director knows who it is. Yeah. Um, Man, that scene where. The Adam meets JL. JL steps back and is like, oh, shite. And Dr. Adam is just like, stares at him. Like, I have no idea who you are, but Q told me to go make sure I talk to you. Um, is not afraid of him at all. Like, that was so good. That was so good. I loved Picard's reaction because he didn't know who this was or how that person got there. But all of a sudden, here's a guy who looks like every other soon I've seen. <laughs> right. Right. It does occur to me, though, that in Star Trek Into Darkness, Khan, Nuni, and Singh manipulated somebody by saying, I can save your daughter. And he got somebody yeah. to do a bad thing. And that. now it's, it's kind of the same thing here. And I, I know what? Picard was under deadline to get Renee into quarantine. He had somewhere to be. But I hope that eventually he has the discussion with Adam that he should have had before which was, what is it that Q is offering you? Because we can help. Like we don't, They don't need to be enemies. At least based on what we knew at that moment in yeah. the episode. By the end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they, made, they timed it really well. But Picard needed to hurry, so he couldn't sit down and talk. Um, exactly. Intentionally. Like, yeah. Um, oh, man. Brent Spiner is this Adam who is just doing everything he can. To make sure his experiment is a success, and it's just and everything's falling apart. If this plays out, how it look at would look in real life? Adam here knows he's going to get arrested for attempted murder or vehicle vehicular attempted vehicular manslaughter. If that plays out, like it's, he's acting like he knows, like I have like hours before the cops are going to be here. If that plays how how it's a TV show, so they might not do that. Yeah, this hit and run was not just out on a city street. It was in the driveway of a hotel. There had to have been security cameras. Uh huh. So we'll see how. And the Tesla will all have their own. They have their own things too to record. So we'll see if it plays out in real life or TV version. 
Yeah, just because a hotel has cameras doesn't mean that a show like Star Trek is going to acknowledge or use that information. Because like every starship and, de- and space station has cameras only when the plot needs them to. It's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, when he went back to his daughter and he kept referring to her as his life's work, that's when I started realizing he was not what he seemed to be. He doesn't love her. He loves the experiment. Right. Right. And I didn't realize that up until he started calling her that. And then she goes and for the first time in her life, Googles her father. I don't, I've never Googled my dad. So when my dad passed away, here's a fun fact. It's a tangent. You can request the FBI record of any living person with that living person's permission or any deceased person without their permission. Really? I'm going to hold on. You keep that thought. I'm going to the FBI website. (laughs) So the day after my dad died, I went to the FBI website. I submitted a freedom of information request and I got a copy of my dad's FBI record. And the record was that there is no record (laughs) because he had never done anything worth noting by the FBI. I did the same thing for my grandparents. uh, Same thing when a good friend of mine passed away. It's just like it's become almost standard operating procedure for me now. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, can't wait for you to see what's on my FBI profile. <laughs> well, I hope that you find out what's on mine first. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot going on there with Adam and lots of little experiments. Apparently, he's doing some human growth hormone thing where they can grow super fast, and uh, they kept failing. Well, here's a question I have: All those girls in his archival footage were they clones of each other? I couldn't tell for sure, but it sure seemed that way. Okay, so he is growing these people. He's not Mm -hmm. kidnapping them. Right. Okay. Not that that's a lot better, but (laughs) at least there aren't parents out there wondering what happened to their kids. Yeah. Uh, In today's Radio Room, it's an interview. The Radio Room for this episode is Brent Spiner and Jonathan Brakes, who directed this episode. And, And Will Wheaton asked, like, how did you get in the mindset of Adam? And Brent Spiner was like, yeah, I wrote a little story for him in my head. It's like, he was raised, uh, like he was, he was adopted or raised by Chinese parents. That's how he got his name and, had, and some terrible thing happened. So that's how he got to this point where he is. And <laughs> it's a fun little thing. Interesting. Yeah. I guess it helps to have that backstory, just like a D and D character. Exactly. So like, what's your story? Everybody has one. <laughs> huh? Yeah, so I, uh, halfway through this episode, thought there might be some redemption for Adam. By the end, I don't (laughs) think there is. Nothing. Yeah. I'm still unclear how everything is going to play out. Like, why has Q lost his powers? What does Renee and her mission have to do with the future of humanity? What is the Borg Queen going to do? So, you may recall, the way that I met Kayla, our previous guest, was... She asked me to say something smart during a magic show. And I said, the season premiere of Picard introduced way too many subplots for this character. And (laughs) that's how we made our connection about Star Trek. And now that we're six episodes, three fifths of the way through the season in, I still think there are a lot of things going on here. There are a lot of things going on here. It's like Raffi and Seven, JL and Laris, JL and Q. Rios is just other smoking cigars and in for the ride. But now we have Rios and Teresa. 
Yep. Uh, last episode, we introduced uh, Adam and Corey. Picard and his mom. Uh-huh. Even Picard said to Renee, look up, just like his mom said to him. Yeah. And speaking of looking up, that ship that he gets her to talk about, it was from Enterprise uh, in the credits, opening credits. Nice catch. I did not notice that. Yeah. I love Enterprise, so I recognize that. But <laughs> but it looks a lot like a, a prototype, that they, or not a prototype, but a design, like a working model, not a working model, a model of a, show that, or a ship that NASA was actually kind of toying with as a replacement for a space shuttle like 20 years ago. Huh. Um, it's not the same, but it's similar. And yeah, I just cool. always loved it. Yeah. Yeah. So before we wrap up, any because you said you want to keep this under an hour because we've already talked longer than the episode <laughs> was. Uh-huh. Uh, do you have any? Are there any other plots we overlooked or any other? Uh, skimming through those are the big ones that I got. Uh, I did <laughs> the fake ID that Rios had, uh, or the one that showed up at first before they fixed it, was a total nod to Doctor McCoy. Um, the the uh, name on there was Carl Leonard Kelly. Oh, Carl Urban, Leonard McCoy, and Forrest Kelly. Huh. And um, he even says, "Like you don't look like a Southern doctor." Oh, nice. <laughs> um, that was fun. And I postulated on Twitter earlier this week that Picard season two is a retelling of a Christmas story. Go on. Oh well, well I was watching a little thing. This is not a spoiler, so uh, don't worry. I was watching a thing where at the beginning of the season, they interview all the cast about the season. And Patrick Stewart says, like, it says about season two, he says, season two is not looking so much at Picard's past, but at his present and what he sees about as a possible future. And I'm like, what's that sound like? That sounds like a Christmas carol, <laughs> which is something <laughs> that he's been in and I know loves. Uh, and so, like, I, the analogy kind of falls apart a little bit. Like, if you look for a one on one, one to one analogy, but um, analogness. But uh, I'm like this feels so, yeah. I can see like you could see what happens to your future if you mess up the past, uh, you know, in the present. Well, you know, speaking of the future, I again have to give credit to Reddit for this theory. You know whose fault this entire season is? It's not JL's. It's not. The fault lies with Beckett Mariner <laughs> from Star Trek Lower Decks How so? because Q showed up on her ship. And he said, I challenge you to a duel. The weapon of choice is the mind. And she said, no, we're not playing your stupid games. Go mess with Picard. <laughs> and so he did. He did. There and you this go. is where we wound up. <laughs> so that is, I think, all we have for this week. There is still three, seven, eight, nine, ten, four, four episodes left. Mm-hmm. And a lot of threads to wrap up. Yeah, I'm not going to be here next week. I'm traveling. Doing some moving across, helping helping a move across the country. So I'm going across country to help get back here. And we will have a familiar guest sitting in your seat. So the show will continue. It'll certainly not be the same, but it'll be fun. Transport a lot continues. It's true. <laughs> Until next time. We're running with the shadows of the night. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. I was right. 
in beta canon number one from the original series is Robin Luffler's mother. Nice. Even though I'd never read the book, I still remember that. <laughs> yeah, I remember going down rabbit holes as well. 